0: Taf Tet Tishrei Shin Tet. Coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York. I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. i great to come back with a blast. Pugi, Lakat Kaverd in their last performance back in 2013 with the live rendition of Yoya. Welcome, welcome and welcome back. One and all, welcome to the Israel Show On the Nachum Siegel Network, my name is Mayor Weingarten. We're here each and every Monday, immediately following JM in the AM. That translates to 9 a.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Israel time. And around the world, wherever you are right now, whatever time it is, that's when we're on. And it's great to have you. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have been away for a long time. The the month of Tishrei, which is ending very soon, has... uh, Eradicated our Monday shows, as we had Rosh Hashanah on a Monday, Sukkot on a Monday, Shmini Atzeret on a Monday. So uh, three out of the last four weeks we've been unable to air our our wonderful program here. But we're back, and we have to open with sad news. Yesterday, a terrorist, a young Arab, 23-year-old terrorist shot and killed, murdered, two innocent Israelis. And we will tell you all about that coming up on the show. We will also discuss, um, it's it's sort of an important point about the Yom Kippur War. Barry Lieben just mentioned on Jamin AM about losing two friends of his early in the war. I think he mentioned that one of them was killed on the first day in the Golan those were the those first days both in the Golan and the Sinai Yom Kippur and on were the most uh, devastating in cost of human life and uh, we will discuss a story we have mentioned before about an Israeli spy that was very very well embedded in the hierarchy of the Egyptian government who warned Israel a bit before the war broke out and saved thousands of lives, because if not for that warning, Israel would have been even more unprepared. We'll tell you a little bit about um, that person and about the uh, Netflix movie that was recently released about his story called The Angel, that was his codename, Um, so it's an interesting juxtaposition, we'll tell you about the movie, we'll try not to spoil it, we'll warn you ahead of the spoilers, and, uh, we'll discuss, um, his role in the war and what he did and did not help accomplish. So, we have a big show coming up, we are going to, um, music, and then we'll go into discussion of yesterday's murders. I uh, love to play this song every year after the Chagim. I, I always say that in Israel there are 5 seasons of the years of the year. There's winter and there's summer and there's fall and there's spring and then there's Acharei Chagim. Chagim because Tishrei is almost an entire month of Chagim and Shabbat and, Shabbat and Chagim. Nothing gets accomplished in Israel. And uh, so, Acharya Chagim, everything is uh, after the holidays. And that, that's a season in itself. Noam Shemer wrote, and both the late Noam Shemer wrote, and the late Ophir Chaza sings, Hid renewal, talking about Acharya Chagim Yitzchadeshakol. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You are tuned to the Israel show on the Nahum Segal Network.
1: رد بيق بيركاين لو موڤان زوشا
0: Now that the holidays are over, everything renews itself. Of course, nature and in Eretz Yisrael, of course, the nature, the beginning of the cycle of the agriculture, everything is beginning of the cycle, the renewal. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Israel Shon Denachim Segal Network. What is Barkan, where the horrific murder took place yesterday? Barkan is an industrial zone, industrial park in the Shamron, not far from the city of Ariel, one of the larger cities in the Shamron, and it employs thousands and thousands of workers in various fields, amongst them many thousands of Arabs who live in the area. You will find in the media reports, they will call them Palestinian Arabs. Yehuda Glick, Knesset member who we love and respect, posted yesterday, the Barkan Industrial Zone is an island of sanity in the Shomron. it feeds honorably respectfully tens of thousands of jews and arabs there are 150 factories there it's always been looked at looked to as a um, a, a, a paradigm of coexistence between jews and arabs and the truth is It's in the interest of so many Arab families who have somebody working there and making a living, as we said honorably. It's in their interest that the place remain an island of sanity. Well, yesterday, at about 7.30, seven thirty, eight 8 o'clock in the morning Israel time a 23 year old Arab whose name we know I will not mention it because uh, I, I, I don't need to publicize the name of the murderer who lives in a town not far from there called Shaweki or Shaweka. came to work. He works for the past seven months as an electrician in one of the factories. He had with him a machine gun, an automatic an automatic rifle. You'll ask, how does he get in to an industrial zone? With an automatic rifle. That's a good question. And we'll have to deal with that. But he did. He went up. To the office. Of the company that he works for. He went into the room. Of Kim. Levengrond Yecheskel, A 28 year old. Young mother, mother of a baby who's one, a little over a year old from Rosh Ayen, who he knew. You understand there's somewhat of a difference. There, the, the result isn't different. The terrorists murder people. But I think there's a difference in the gradation of evil. When you go to someone you know, and listen now, not He didn't just shoot her. He tied her hand. He bound her hands with plastic ties. And then he shot her in cold blood. Then he went to another office. And he shot Ziv Hajbi, another person who he knew, who he worked with. He also injured others. And then he ran. They know who he is, the Israeli security forces. they know who he is. They know where he lives. They know his family, they know his friends, they know everything about him, but they can't find him it's It's more than twenty four hours, obviously after this murder. And what does that say? He's not just in some field somewhere. It says to us, this whole story, that everything was premeditated. This wasn't some, you know, he just spurred a moment, you know, anger, fit of rage. Everything was preplanned. Not only that, they discovered, the Israeli security forces discovered that three days ago, according to the Khadashot, News, uh, television news in Israel. The terrorist left a suicide letter with a friend three days ago. The friend who worked at the same factory didn't report the letter to the authorities. He just hung on to it. Could have saved lives. But obviously he supports his friend in attacking and killing innocent Jews. So he has been arrested. Israeli security forces are investigating whether advanced knowledge of the letter could have prevented the attack. Obviously it could have. The IDF declared yesterday, on Sunday, that this was a severe terror attack. And large number of troops, including special forces, are searching for the suspected gunman who is believed to still be armed so he's probably set in advance a place of hiding for himself it could be a cave, it could be so many different places could be like an abandoned building somewhere where he set up for himself food and, and, uh, and water to survive for a, a while while they still look for him if you'll remember when the three young men were kidnapped and murdered near Gush Etzion, the two murderers did the same thing. They had everything planned out, and um, after they murder, they ditched the car, and they went to a place that they had pr- set up in advance where they could hide where the army won't find them. And obviously, the amount of manpower that goes into this kind of search... Is huge. So, in addition to everything else, they divert the army from whatever it should be doing to spending days and days searching for this one person. Yesterday was the funeral of Kim Yecheskel Levengrund, the 28 year old. Beautiful, if you see pictures of her, she's just a stunningly beautiful woman. Her friends said that she was beautiful on the inside as mu- as as she was on the outside. Today, Ziv Hajbi, 30, 35, of Rishon Lutzion, father of three, married for 18 years, was buried. Well, hundreds attended, including the family of Kim. One uh one of the posts by a well known Israeli Facebook personality, if you will. I'm translating here from the English. I think he represents some of the or most of the of the feelings of Israelis. He he writes with a broken heart, we cry about the murder of Ziv and Kim. But our enemies shouldn't confuse our tears with weakness, but rather our enemies should understand that the tears come from strength. Standing tall, we will move forward. We will build factories, more factories in Barkan. We will build more Barkans throughout Yehudan, Shamron, Judea, and Samaria. There are no rewards for terrorism. The terrorists' desire is to perpetrate the, perpetuate the conflict and the hatred. Any semblance of peaceful coexistence, like the Barkan Industrial Zone, threatens and angers them. There are no rewards for terrorism. Surrender and despair, that's what the terrorists want for us, from us. But we will fight those who incite the terrorists and we will fight the terrorists while we build more and more and more how does a 23 year old worker get in to an industrial zone where obviously thousands of Arabs come to work every day how does he get in with uh, an automatic uh, machine gun? There are metal detectors at the entrances. There's security people watching. And the answer comes from the security people themselves who were interviewed yesterday on Israeli radio. They said in the morning... When these thousands of people start coming, and there's one or maybe two entrances to this industrial zone, there's no way that you can possibly search each and every person entering. It just there's a mob, and people will uh, uh, unfortunately sneak through, and it's impossible. and And the terrorist knew that, and he took advantage of the Israelis willingness to continue to employ people like him. You know, of course, that uh, there are two scenarios here. One is they will find him, and he will go down in, uh, in what he will consider a blaze of glory. They will find him, start shooting, he'll shoot back, and then they'll kill him and he'll, he believes that he will then go to heaven, we know otherwise, and his family will get a monthly salary for life from Mahmoud Abbas and the Palestinian Authority. If there's any question in your mind about the intentions ...of the Palestinian Authority. That's all you have to look at. Kill one Jew, you get a stipend. Kill two Jews, you get more. Your family's taken care of. And you're going to go to heaven. And this is something that they've learned... ...from kindergarten. Or even maybe... ...it's been embedded in them with their mother's milk. I don't know how one makes peace under these circumstances... And one more point, which is always important. The media in this country and in Israel, the media frames reality. CNN had a headline originally. They, of course, changed it after everybody screamed. The headline was, West Bank Workplace Shooting. Workplace shooting leaves two Israelis dead. You know that in uh, in the United States there was a um, army base, I believe, in Texas, where a Muslim who uh, Muslim soldier, psychiatrist, I believe, or psychologist, went on a murder spree and shot multiple American soldiers in the army base, screaming "Allahu Akbar." But the Obama administration didn't want to admit that there was a terrorist incident on American soil, no less. So they co- called it a workplace violence incident. You know, in the workplace, people got angry at one another and so forth. and So that's a workplace shooting. Yes, they changed it later, but it doesn't matter. I, I went on last night. To the CNN site. And they do, yes, they call it an attack uh, and so forth. But on the very same page, as you're reading it, you know, they have all these things in between. And one of them is a video of a CNN report, about three something minutes, all about uh, the Nebuch Palestinian. Arab, the Pal- They don't call them Palestinian Arabs. The Palestinians. oh, this man who who remembers his house in Yafo and his dire situation and all the terrible conditions that they live in. Oy, 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 oy. Gewalt. So in case you might have some sympathy for the Jews, they made sure to embed on that very same page a video that makes you feel sympathetic to the Arabs. The war continues, the struggle continues, but the state of Israel goes on, gets stronger and better, and becomes the center of the Jewish world. Coming up, we'll uh, tell you the story of... um, The angel, Israel's spy of spies, probably the greatest spy that Israel ever had. His name was Ashraf Marwan. And uh, his role in the Yom Kippur War, 45 years ago this month, the Yom Kippur War was raging. And the state of Israel was under terrible threat of destruction for a few days but we are here this is probably the theme song of the song of the war Naomi Shemer wrote Shuli Natan sings Lu Yehi my name is Mayor Weingarten you're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nahum Siegel Network The same Naomi Shemer who wrote six years before that "Yerushalayim Shel Zahav," and the same Shuli Natan who sang "Yerushalayim Shel Zahav," but what a difference six years had made in Israeli history! In fact, there is uh, some parts of this song that were so painful for Israelis that it were taken out of many of the covers of this song. Imham Vaser badelet. You know we say on Hoshana Rabbah kol mivaser, mivaser Omer The mivaser, in Jewish heritage, in Jewish tradition, is the heralder, one who comes and heralds the coming of the Messiah. But in Israel at that point, at that time, the Mivaser who omed Badelet that's standing at your door was the person coming to tell you that your son, your daughter, your loved one was killed. Imham vaser Omed Badelet Ten befev, let there be a good positive message in his mouth. Now it was so difficult for the over two thousand six hundred families that had a mivaser coming to their door that that was left out some other parts as well. It's a song about the good and the and the the bad and the prayer. So the Yom Kippur war, which broke out at two p m On Shabbat, Yom Kippur, 1973, 45 years ago. Caught Israel unprepared. And in those first few days of the war, and as the war progressed, the feeling of the leadership was... That this might be the end. They were not ready. Moshe Dayan, Minister of Defense, Golden Mayor, Prime Minister, they weren't ready. They had indications, they saw that Egypt was amassing troops on the Suez Canal, but previously, and the months before that, they did it before, and it turned out to be maneuvers. And so they followed the lead of the uh, military intelligence that said, no, there's no, no chance that there's going to be a war. No, no, no. Israel felt very high and mighty after the six years after the Six-Day War. It's not a long time. And if they attack us, we can just beat them back like we did in '67. they thought. But things were getting tense. America, led by President Richard Nixon, and sec- and uh, National Defense, I don't believe he was Secretary of State, I, maybe he was National Defense uh, Advisor, one of those, Henry Kissinger, warned Israel, don't start, don't shoot the first bullet, because we won't support you if you do. If they start a war and you defend yourselves, then we'll support you. And Golda Meir, in a move that she regrets her entire life, after that, made that decision. What brought about this change? Well, we've spoken about it before, but now there's, there's so many revelations that have come out or we can speak about it even more. In 1967, the president of Egypt was Gamal Abdel Nasser. He was a very charismatic leader. He overthrew the previous regime in Egypt as part of a military coup. And he was a big advocate of what they called pan-Arabism, meaning... that the Arabs should sort of act together as one, one, one Arab world, so to speak. He was involved in wars in different places, in Yemen mainly. He was a big bra- guy, a bravado guy, and the people of Egypt worshipped him. It was he who began the process that led to the Six-Day War by blocking the Straits of Tehran and so forth, kicking out the UN forces. And it was he who really ultimately was to blame for the huge defeat that Egypt took in the Six-Day War. And yet, even though he officially resigned after the after the, the trouncing of the Egyptians by Israel in 1967 the 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 public, the mobs wouldn't agree that he should step down and he continued to be the president until he died I believe in 1970 of a heart attack but while he was still alive his daughter married a man by the name of Ashraf Marwan interesting complicated character Nasser didn't like him very much he belittled him when Nasser died, Sadat took over, Anwar Sadat. And Ashraf Marwan was close aide to Sadat. At some point, even while Nasser was still alive, Ashraf Marwan just contacted the Israeli embassy in London and said, I have information I want to meet with the uh, ambassador or the head of the uh, intelligence unit in the embassy. It took a while, but they got back to him, when they found out who he really was. And from that point on, Ashraf Marwan, the son-in-law of the president of Egypt, was a spy for Israel, and he provided, during all those years, amazing information, which checked out time and time again, and brought a lot of security to Israel, through the information that he gave them. It wasn't just general information. It was detailed information about armaments, about military. The day before Yom Kippur of 1973, he called the head of the Mossad, Tzfiz Amir, using a certain code which... Led Zamir to understand that there's a threat of war and told him to come to London to meet him. Zamir flew right away to London, met with him. Now, you have to understand that when Ashraf Marwan said a war will begin on Yom Kippur before the end of the day, it was not the first time that he gave such Notice. And so Israel was a little skeptical. Was it the guy, the boy who cries wolf? Amazing details. And just before Yom Kippur, every year the Israeli archives released documents that were heretofore confidential and secret. And this year they released. 45 years later, the um, full document that was sent by Zamir, still in London, to the government of Israel, actually to the Prime Minister and through her, on October the 5th, 1973, telling them everything about the upcoming war. How many divisions? where they are, what weaponry they have, where Sadat is, what Syria will do, what Libya is doing, the exact type of aircraft, the exact type of missiles that they have, everything. And it all turned out to be true. It was all true. How they will attack, what the strategy is. He even said, this spy, whose codename was the angel, Hamalach, that there is a way, if Israel wanted to, to possibly stop this from happening. If Israel would reveal, brilliant, if Israel would reveal in, in the media that they know that Egypt is about to attack and Syria is about to attack and they warn Egypt and Syria not to attack and they make a big brouhaha, then the Egyptians would realize that there's no longer a surprise effect and would back down. But for whatever reason, they didn't. The military intelligence, unlike the Mossad, the military intelligence claimed that there's still little chance of war and they didn't believe the reports of Ashraf Marwan and they said look he gave us a false report before maybe it's a ploy maybe he's a double agent when it turned out that everything he said was right and that Israel didn't act fast enough and it resulted in 2,700 deaths plus, and a national trauma for the state of Israel, which I believe Israel still lives with till this very day, the head of the military intelligence, who doubted Ashraf Marwan, began giving a story that Marwan was a double agent. Marwan was a double agent. I can prove it. He was a double agent. He, we shouldn't listen. We shouldn't have listened to him. There was no reason to listen to him. That's why I said there wouldn't be a war. In, in, in order to clear his name, and this fight just continued between Sfiz Amir, the head of the Mossad, and the head of the military intelligence. This this battle about who's to blame. All egos, of course. I don't think any of the 2,700 and more young men and women who were killed and their families, I don't think they care who exactly is to blame. Their kids are dead. They want justice to be done, and it wasn't. But it didn't matter. As this war The secret war between these two intelligence chiefs continued, more and more leaked out. And then, a few years after the story, an Israeli writer mentioned the fact that Israel had this super spy who was very well connected. And then somebody else, seeing that he already mentioned, mentioned that there was an Israeli super spy and he was a relative of one of the leaders of Egypt and then somebody else figured if they know that already then we'll we'll mention that he's the son-in-law of Nasser well we won't mention his name but now everybody knows and so the internal Israeli fight ended up exposing Ashraf Marwan and books were written about him And a few short years after that, he came to a sudden death. Relatively young man, living in London. Just fell off the balcony of his uh, sixth floor uh, apartment. Well, he didn't really fall because the railing was a little too high, so one assumes he was pushed. By Who? We don't know. Was it by Egyptian secret service intelligence? Was it by the Israeli Mossad? Who was out to get him? We don't know. But he was given a hero's burial in Egypt. And Egypt started pushing the story in order to hide its shame that he was a double agent. Well, if he was a double agent, you might ask, why did he warn the Israelis? Then those who say he, he was a double agent will say, he warned the Israelis too late. By the time he warned them, it was too late. Well, it was late, and he claimed that he couldn't have gotten to warn them earlier. but even as late as it was it allowed the Israelis to call up some reserves duty and saved probably thousands of Jewish lives it is a fascinating spy story obviously which should have been kept secret but wasn't and cost him his life the Netflix movie it's a movie you know you have the limitations of a, of, of a Hollywood creation. And I'm, I'm going to give a spoiler here. So if you uh, want to watch the movie on Netflix called The Angel, based on the book, but really the ending is not, so then, you know, put put this on pause and come back in like a minute. At the end of the Netflix movie, the... the um, as you've believed until that point that he was an Israeli spy and he did all these great things for Israel, at the end of the movie there's a scene in which you see him and Sadat and where it becomes clear that, according to the movie, he was a double agent and it was all planned out and it was all part of Sadat's very ingenious way of plotting to surprise Israel and one of them was putting him as a spy going to Israel and giving them all that information throughout the uh, the years in order to not warn them on time about the war. And it's just crazy, and that's the Arab way of explaining it. But the rest of the movie isn't bad. <laughs> that is the story of Ashraf Marwan, the angel. That was his code name in the Mossad. A lot of the movie is good. A lot of it is based on uh, on facts. So, um, if you have uh, Netflix, you may want to watch it. It's on the streaming, obviously, on the streaming platform. All right, we're going to end off with um, Modet Ani, Gabrielle Tombak. Great song. And we're going to do that after we say thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for all your Facebook likes and comments. Thanks to the staff of the Nachum Siegel Network. And my very special thanks as always to Nachum Siegel. Coming up on the Nachum Siegel Network. Live from Jerusalem. Yoni Pollack. will be discussing sports. American sports though. On After Further Review. And then Novik Now with Jake Novik, And then the great Monday Music Marathon. Tuesday and Wednesday, keep tuned today, Tuesday and Wednesday for Nahum's special programming live from Israel. Great stuff. It was a great JMDM. If you missed it this morning, you should go back and listen to the archives. And until next Monday, immediately following JMDM, this is Mayor Weingart reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. They're just running in a different race.
2: On lam coreli Oh jom ba khayim shli etri I do